Chuck Smeaton from the Royal Institution of Australia, and this is the Cosmos Briefing Podcast. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land wherever you are listening from today, and I would like to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Scientists say that 2021 is our last chance to stop the effects of climate change from fundamentally disrupting the weather patterns we've relied on for millennia. After a year's delay due to COVID, the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference, also known as COP26, is about to begin in Glasgow, providing a crucial opportunity for more than 100 world leaders to come together and chart our future on this planet. But what do the climate scientists themselves think of this pivotal moment? This week, Cosmos journalist Lauren Fuge speaks to five Australian climate scientists, one each day, to give you an insider's guide into what's at stake at COP26, what to look out for, and what their hopes and fears are. Today, we talk to Professor Mark Howden, a director for the Institute for Climate, Energy and Disaster Solutions at the Australian National University. He is also an honorary professor at Melbourne University, a vice chair of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, and is the chair of the ACT Climate Change Council. Why is COP26 in Glasgow a pivotal moment for the world? This COP was always intended to be a critical one where nations stepped up. But since the Paris Agreement, uh, where essentially that timetable was established, uh, a lot has changed. A lot has changed in terms of the climate, um, in terms of the climate science understanding, but also in terms of the movement around the world towards lower greenhouse gas emissions, politics, economics and businesses. And importantly, in terms of the climate science, what we see is the time for um, responding to change is very short. Is that the recent IPCC report said that under all climate scenarios, we're likely to exceed 1.5 degrees, sometimes in the 2030s and possibly earlier if we go on the high emission scenarios. And similarly, we're seeing the budget that's consistent with 1.5 degrees shrinking, um, and now it's roughly 10 years, uh, plus or minus, um, that we have uh, at current emissions before we completely blow that budget that's consistent with 1.5 degrees. So there is urgency, and it's broadly understood now. So we have been holding major climate talks for many years now with our major movement on policy or action in Australia. Do you think that Glasgow is going to change anything? What are your hopes for the summit this time? Well, we all hope that Glasgow is going to change things. And and I think we will see big changes in terms of a range of countries stepping up, uh, raising their ambition for emission reduction. Uh, We're likely to see uh, an increased number of coalitions of different types, including on methane, uh, to address methane explicitly, which I think is important. Uh, and we're, I think, likely to see business very significantly stepping up. The challenge, I guess, uh, for Australia uh, and Australians um, is where we're going to be in that mix and and whether, in fact, we're going to miss uh, this wave of opportunity um, that's emerging. Prime Minister Scott Morrison is now attending the summit. It was unclear for some time, but he's now attending. Could this be an indication on some major movement towards net zero? I think that the Prime Minister is attending Glasgow just reflects that it's it's almost irresistible set of forces 
uh, that are piling up. Uh, there's irresistible forces from uh, the politics in Australia because the Australian public wants action on climate change. Um, from the business community, for example, the Business Council Australia a report just the other day, um, but also businesses elsewhere in the globe and the concern about investment flows, uh, but also the diplomatic and economic pressures uh, which are being exerted increasingly by other countries towards Australia, including the potential for carbon border adjustment mechanisms to essentially force Australia into a position where we adopt carbon pricing. Now, other than emissions reductions, what other important issues are going to be discussed at COP26? Well, the three big things that were always there in the Paris Agreement are emission reductions, secondly, adaptation responses, and thirdly, finance. Uh, so I expect to see significant attention being paid to adaptation and finance at Glasgow as well. And specifically in terms of adaptation, it's how to build the capacity in developing countries uh, in terms of managing increased climate risk. And in terms of finance, particularly, it's about uh, countries not only making additional commitments, but being pressured to uh, make good on existing commitments in terms of finance. In your opinion, what would be the best and worst outcomes of a summit? For me, the best outcome is where we essentially have reaffirmation of the Paris Agreement commitments across the globe, which is taking climate change seriously and putting in place uh, agreements where uh, different countries acknowledge the change and the rate of change that's needed. And that will be much more substantial. So very clearly the science says that we have to reduce emissions by 2030 by something like around 45%. And again, plus or minus uh, as, as we head to net zero. So heading to net zero by 2050, continuing our emissions at their current rates is not a pathway towards 1.5 degrees. We have to start right now um, to reduce emissions. So that's the best option in terms of emission reduction. The worst option will be more wobbly uh, commitments, um, not very ambitious commitments, uh, and that will continue the pathway where we see carbon dioxide emissions not only staying stable, notwithstanding COVID, but potentially increasing. So at, at the moment, we're looking down the barrel of increases in carbon dioxide emissions over and above the level they were pre-COVID. And so that's not where we need to be going. What do you think should be the main takeaway message from the summit for the average Australian? What should they know about it? They should know that the rest of the world is moving and that the pretense that we're leading or in the middle of the pack is actually just that, a pretense. Um, at the moment, we're well behind other countries. Many other countries, I think 137 across the globe, have committed to net zero by 2050 or earlier uh, we've still got an official policy which puts us at net zero sometime in the second half of the century. Uh, so we need to recognise that the world is moving and at the moment we're lagging, <clears throat> we're not leading, and that in that process we're missing out on massive opportunities. And at the same time, we're putting in place a set of emissions which will lead to big climate changes which will negatively impact Australia. Climate change is not a good thing for Australia. So how has the, the climate science changed, if at all, since the last summer in Madrid? Since the last conference of parties, we've seen significant increases in the science, the understanding of how our systems are responding to the increased greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere. In particular, we've seen the release of the IPCC Working Group 1, 
report on the physical basis of climate change, and that really significantly enhanced the urgency of action. Uh, because looking at the scenarios for greenhouse gas emissions, we're heading rapidly towards those threshold temperatures which were outlined in the Paris Agreement. So in particular, that science emphasises that that decadal scale, the 10-year timescale, is really important for action because at the rate of temperature increases, we're likely to exceed 1.5 degrees in the 2030s, but also the limits to our carbon budget that are consistent with 1.5 degrees. And essentially, we'll have spent all of that budget in the next 10 years at current rates of emissions. So at this summit, they're going to be discussing a global carbon counting system. Can you tell me what that is and why that's important? Yeah, that's Article 6 under the Paris Agreement, and it essentially it sets up a global carbon market. So, for example, Australia could buy carbon credits from a place like Costa Rica. Really importantly, though, that, has to, that system has to have integrity. So when we buy carbon credits, we know they're real and they're not being double counted. So counted towards the inventory in the country of origin, as well as counted towards emission reductions in the, uh, the country which buys them. And as well, we have to have really strong safeguards that whatever happens, it's socially and ecologically appropriate. So we don't have negative consequences of a very large scale carbon sequestration activities. Mm-hmm. And has this been discussed before or is this gonna be a major step for that system? Uh, yeah, it's been a part of ongoing discussions ever since Paris and, uh, and it hasn't yet been resolved. There's a, a series of sticking points there uh, because some countries do uh, want to have double counting. Thank you, Mark. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode, one of a five-part series that will talk to Australian climate scientists in the lead-up to the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference in Glasgow. Remember that you can head to cosmosmagazine.com via the link in the description for more great content. And you can also subscribe to Cosmos Magazine, Australia's only science print magazine, and Cosmos Weekly, with its unique approach to how science, current affairs and the economy intersect. You can watch and listen to all our Cosmos briefings via the link that you'll also find in the description. And remember, if you support science and its communication, please support our work at the Royal Institution of Australia. I'm Chuck Smeaton. Today's interview was hosted by Lauren Fuge, and our executive producer is Catherine Roberts. Thank you.